Sahela Smith is a singer-songwriter. She and her band won Best Country Recording with Burn It to the Ground in the 2018 Cluzine International Music Awards and reached the top of Best Country Artists on our stage. I'm gonna burn it to the ground This thing called love Cause it's been dragging me around And I've just about had enough You're listening to The Sill Podcast with Peter Noche and Harry Posner. Episode 119, The Undefinable Spirit, Sohela Smith's Peace of the Heart. Well, welcome everyone to another edition of The Undefinable Spirit here at the Sill Podcast, which, by the way, originates here in Orangeville, Ontario, Canada, for our listeners around the world. Today we have a very special guest. We have Sohela Smith. And boy, the list of what she is involved with is incredible. And I'm going to take a deep breath here and move through this list. Sohela Smith is a singer-songwriter. She and her band won Best Country Recording with Burn It to the Ground in the 2018 Cluzine International Music Awards and reached the top of Best Country Artists on our stage. Her band was nominated for a 2017 Toronto Independent Music Award and the song Bridges was the Roots Grand Prize winner on our stage, as well as taking first place in Americana. Sohela is a self-published author. She's published a book of poetry edited by the late Nick Beat called Musings of a Mad Woman. She's a music teacher. She is a belly dancer, and we're going to go into that Mm. during our talk. She's a music therapist. She's done comedy, performing professionally. She created a company called Troop Adore, made up of local artists offering theater, dinner theater, murder mysteries, etc. She founded something very special, which were also going to talk about called Soup House, which feeds people. She did a wonderful TEDx speech about Soup House, and we'll go into that later on. Random things that she loves, birds, new instruments, tarot cards, ethics and morals, living plants, peace of the heart, good food, and wine making. Welcome to the program, Sohela. Thank you very much. <laughs> the first that's, and, that's one grand introduction. <laughs> <laughs> now, the first and most obvious question is, how the hell do you manage to juggle all of these activities and interests in your life, given that you have a family, etc.? Because I'm the boss of me, uh-huh. I decide what I do when I do it and when I don't do something. So I, I just, when it feels like it's the right time, I do whatever I want. So it's a kind of a freelance life. Yeah. It allows you a much yeah. more flexibility. Is that what you're saying? Yeah. Like contract work, except the lesson part. I teach regularly. So that's like an actual job. Uh-huh. Is there anything that you do which you're particularly passionate about and spend most of your time on if you could? If I could, I would spend most of my time. Well, I do spend most of my time on music, but I would spend more of my time on music. Learning, probably learning new instruments and getting better at them. Right. And then music therapy. I want to do more of that. What is your key instrument? That's a good question. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to give you a few. Piano, guitar, and the harp, I guess. Those are the three that I play the most. 
I also play the fiddle and cello. I'm always impressed too, Sohela, when a musician is a multi-instrumentalist, thinking of Edgar Winter or someone playing guitar on the one hand, but also keyboard on the other. And they're very different sort of mindsets and mind-hand coordination. How do you jump from one to the other like Mm -hmm. that? I think there's a learning curve. For me, I started with piano thanks to my parents. And that sort of opened the door for literacy, at least music literacy. Um, And then guitar, I picked up on my own. And from there, you can take what you learn in guitar to ukulele, banjo, anything that's similar, right? And I did violin in junior high. So that opens the door for violin, viola, cello. I also did flute in high school. So I think once you know one, it's just a matter of the learning curve of understanding the physical mechanics of playing it. Uh And then it just kind of clicks or it doesn't. So like I picked up a concertina and I'm terrible at it. (laughs) It was terrible. (laughs) But I see you on Facebook uploading live videos of you working on cello, working on the harp, etc. Where do you think this urge to constantly learn and grow comes from? Is it something from your childhood? Did your parents support your artistic temperament? My parents really fostered it, but I think it comes from a personal drive to be like there's no end to learning and there's no you've reached the end and therefore you can stop trying right Mm -hmm, so you just have to keep working at it and I literally live that in my life I think if you don't work at something you can't expect to be better and better at it and if you feel like there's an area that you can improve on then if you don't spend the time you're never going to get there and I also I post it live it's probably torture for some people (laughs) I, I post my practice sessions live where I make hundreds of mistakes repeatedly so that people hopefully watch and see that it's okay to make the mistakes. It's okay to not be amazing as soon as you pick something up. It takes work. It takes dedication. It takes patience. Um, And then the long-term goal is maybe in a year, I might actually sound good. So, (laughs) But that's unique. Not many people post videos of them not being really good. I know. (laughs) (laughs) Which is neat. That's what people are really interested in. They enjoy the process. Yeah. They're always curious about how people get to where they get. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Everybody thinks it's overnight. It's just magical that you just pick it up and you're just a virtuoso on it. And it's not always mm-hmm. the case. Right. So when I was looking at all these things, including the TED Talk, and this thing pops and it's belly dancing. <laughs> so <laughs> how do you also manage to include belly dancing to your creative endeavors? Where did that come from? That came from a repressed, <laughs> some self-exploration as I've gotten older. And I realized I was harboring this like thing. Apparently when I was young, I was taken to a dance class, but because I had bone problems and joint problems, the dance instructor basically said, don't bother bringing her back to my parents. Wow. And I really wanted to be a ballerina. Um, <laughs> so that kind of creeped back up because I kept telling myself, oh, you can't dance. You can't dance. Don't worry about it. Right. But I never really tried. So I thought, okay, well, let me think of a dance that would not be damaging to me physically mm-hmm. and one that I would actually want to do that would make me feel, because I don't generally like dress up fancy or go anywhere fancy. I'm a pretty simple person. But I wanted something that made me feel like pretty and special and what have you. And I am culturally affiliated sort of with belly dance by my father's side of the family, which is Persian. It's not Egyptian, but uh-huh. we have our own similar like Persian classical dance, which I incorporate into my belly dance. So that's why. And I want to stay healthy and in shape and physically fit. (laughs) Were there any surprises in the process for you from doing this? Yeah, I can dance. (laughs) (laughs) Your bones are good. (laughs) I realized my bones are okay with this type of dance. Yeah. And I realized I can dance. And now I'm starting to learn ballet. Uh I'm just a beginner. Very cool.
You created several things in the area here, in, up in Shelburne, where you're located mm-hmm. primarily. You created a troupador. You created Soup House that are both community-oriented initiatives, I would say. Yep. Can you talk about why community engagement is so important to you? Well, with Troubadour, I found there are a lot of people who are talented or budding talents, but don't have an outlet to put that to use and to grow and to be fostered with a community of like-minded people. Mm-hmm. That has changed over the years a little bit. There are other things for people to do, but we sort of seem to get more eclectic folk and uh, are there, their skill sets vary a little more from just general theater or general music. And I found that working together, we were able to do pretty cool things and with not a lot of money. Mm-hmm. Um, and as far as the Soup House project is concerned, that I love that project. It had to be a community effort because it's not possible for me to do everything. Yeah. So the beauty of that is that the community, I went out and I said, hey, we're going to do this. If you want to help, please feel free. And then the community came back and said, yes, 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 we want to help. So that's really inspiring. But I think that having people work together is something that's not that common anymore. Everybody's kind of out for themselves, right? Like out to make sure that they get what they need, that Mm -hmm. they succeed. But people don't generally help others along the way. And I've experienced even some of that myself. Which brings me to the the TED Talk. Obviously, what Mm -hmm. you're talking about now kind of flows into that. I watched your TED Talk on the true meaning of giving. And this, I quote you, really resonated with me. You said, there is no need for strings in a relationship that is naturally and mutually symbiotic. It's not about money. It's not about things. It's value-based. How has giving changed your life or affected your work? It has changed my whole world. (laughs) Because when I started that project, I was in a place where I was like, well, what about me? What about me? And what am I going to do? And I have nothing. I felt I had no value personally and nothing therefore worthy to give. So Mm -hmm. by countering that feeling and that thought, that like negativity with this positive, no, you do and you can and you will. And then having the community step in and help so strongly, it really changed the way I look at everything. And when I have that urge to give, which I've always had my whole life, I always want to give. And then I always feel like, well, I can't. Or someone tells me, no, you can't. You can't mm-hmm. afford to, you can't this, you can't that. Mm-hmm. I don't listen to those people anymore. And I don't listen to those thoughts anymore. If I feel that I want to give something or do something, even if logically it doesn't always make sense, which is probably going to get me in the butt one day. Um, <laughs> but even if it doesn't logically make sense all the time, I need to do it because Mm. I feel that that's important. And if it's important enough for me to think that it's important, then I do it and then I feel good about it. And I don't ever look back and go, oh, I shouldn't have done that. Mm -hmm. Um, I don't think there's anything that I have given in the last at least few years. And I've given a lot. I've given a lot. I don't even tell people half the things I do. But Mm. when I give, I I absolutely never regret it. I feel absolutely 100% good about it. Even if someone else goes, oh, well, that was a bad idea or you shouldn't have done that. It doesn't matter what anybody else thinks. And you expressed in your TED Talk, you also expressed the importance of not expecting anything back. Yep, absolutely. Reciprocity in a way, like without expecting yeah, reciprocity. Because it's, it's a burden. If you expect something back, then you're not really giving from a place of wanting to give. You're giving from a place of wanting to exchange, right? Mm-hmm. And that's not giving, at least in my opinion. And there have been people, trust me, I've received emails of people arguing that, but I disagree. And I'm okay with disagreeing. I don't feel that if you're giving with an expectation of something in return that you're truly giving. I think giving is freeing something and letting it go. Mm-hmm. And that's it. And doing it with a good heart, with good intention and with 100% like this is for you and then I step back. Some people will always feel burdened by the gift sometimes, but that's a personal thing. 
I have trouble receiving gifts personally too. So, mm-hmm. but on the other end of the spectrum, when I give, I have absolutely no expectations of anything. Not even a thank you is needed because I choose to give, right? Yeah, yeah. So it, it's a conscious decision to let something go with a good intention or good energy or positive, whatever you want to call it, mm-hmm. positive mojo. <laughs> <laughs> and that naturally rolls us into the next question because among the many things that you told us that you love is the area of ethics and morals. Can you talk about yes. what fascinates you about those two aspects of human life? Yeah, I find people interesting and I find behaviors and circumstances surrounding behaviors and behavior patterns really interesting. And I find that certain things change people. In one circumstance, they will be very kind and very friendly. And in another circumstance, they won't, usually when they feel threatened or if, if they harbor feelings like jealousy or whatever. Like there, there's always negative emotions that make people become uglier mm-hmm. uh, in an interaction. And I find that business in particular is an area that lacks both ethics and morals. Yeah, um, yeah. Broad spectrum, I'm going to say. I'm going to be kind of bold and broad spectrum, for the most part, at least. And that's part of why, even tying back to Supas for a second, why I will not register it as a charity. I will not register it as a business. It is not an official organization in any way. Mm-hmm. Because as soon as you make it business, it becomes numbers, it becomes money, it becomes data. And that's not what it's about. It's about people, right? And it has to stay about people. But anyways. Yeah, um, no, I'm fully on board with you on that because I'm hosting and organizing the Day of the Poets Festival in Orangeville. And mm-hmm. that's something that is not an organization either. It's just me doing this thing in and for the community and hoping that the community will see the value in it and support it. I don't want to have it turn into some big corporate-sponsored event. It just changes the dynamic, right? It does, and it changes the thing that you have to then do. Because if you have expectations imposed on you because someone has said, well, I'm going to sponsor or I'm going to do this – that changes your responsibility in that relationship where you're not just now putting on the day of the poets, you're now putting on the day of the poets and keeping your sponsors happy. Yeah. You know, and that again, it's not really giving it's business, right? basically live in an economically driven world that can easily discourage artists from developing and growing their craft. Can you talk yes, about can. <laughs> yeah. can you talk about what a young artist has to overcome in order to create a career that is uh, somewhat sustainable? Well, speaking as someone who is still 20 something odd years in, I think that they have to do the work first, the art first. Whether they're a songwriter or a painter, they have to work at it. You have to work at it if you want to build a following and build a career and improve because you can't just do the same thing. If there was a guy that painted like a red dot on a piece of white canvas and did that over and over again for his entire life, he would not be amazing. Right. But if that's one time statement that impresses people, then you take that energy or that positive motion and you go forward with it and change and grow. So one is always getting more education or more skilled in whatever it is that you do. To understand your industry, which is hard, that's hard. Understanding whether it's uh, visual arts or poetry or music, understanding the industry that you are working in or working to be in mm-hmm. can be really complicated, at least in my in my opinion, when it comes to the music industry. I have no idea how it works anymore. Right. 
but I really appreciate the people in the industry who do step up and help us and give us airplay and things like that. I love them, <laughs> genuinely. <laughs> so I guess the best thing is to just make the most of information so that you know what you're working with, where you're working within, and, and just keep getting better. And listen to feedback, ask for constructive feedback. Yeah. Um, and sometimes it's really hard to take negative feedback. Because constructive can still be negative. You can be like, oh, well, how could they say that, right? Right. But if you don't learn to digest that and then grow from it, you stop. And then beyond all that, don't you have to kind of get uh, savvy in terms of marketing yourself and what you do? Oh, yeah. And working the technology. You know the internet, promotions. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. If you're If you're doing it all by yourself, it's a lot. Um, yeah, you sure. have to do your own website management, and there's usually more than one. Right. Um, your own merch, your own sales, your own bookings, your own management. Mm. And and then if you're in the music industry, then it's like videos and mm. photography. And there are expenses that are accumulated. And you've been doing this for how long? Since I was 15. Right. So you've gone through a lot of the te <laughs> technical changes too, haven't you? Yes. Oh, yeah. I started, I, I recorded my first album on tape. Right. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> At Q107 Skylab Studios, which isn't even there anymore. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. I'm still in contact with the producer who did it, though. He's awesome. So Robert DeJoya, I hope I said that right. Does that tape still mm -hmm. exist? It does. And he actually <laughs> kept, he kept a few of the masters and he still has the masters to it. I was kind of honored. So I was like, oh, he said there was something special about it. But I remember being in that studio. It was the scariest experience of my mm -hmm. life at that point. But yeah. I grew so much from it. And now I love music. I love what I do. Success in the industry and whatever industry you're in is really just a mindset. If you're not happy with what you get, then work harder or try something different or change it up a little bit. But if you're happy with what you're receiving and you're happy with the direction that you're going, you're going to have to maintain that positivity, even though there's a lot of negativity and a lot of debt mm -hmm. <laughs> when it comes to not receiving grants or not receiving funding or not having people buy your product because nobody cares. You know, right. that happens. Yeah. Have you embraced technology, you think? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh. I do all of my own marketing. Okay. I do my, I mean, I'm not very good at the videos, but I do my own videos, all the websites I manage. It's a lot of work. It's like yes, a part-time job. Yeah. Another of your loves is something you call, quote, peace of the heart. And it sounds like something we'd all love to achieve. What does it mean for you to attain peace of the heart? It's hard to explain. Finding that place where you can just find quiet Mm -hmm. uh, and get to know yourself a little bit, like really reflect inward and look at who you are, the life you've lived and the choices you've made with some compassion for yourself right. where you can go, yeah, you know what? Like you were growing then you might've made some mistakes, but you're still a good person and you're still doing all these great things. Let it go. Learning to find that inner peace with who you are and love yourself first is important in order to be able to truly love and give back to everybody else. I find a lot of my inner peace moments are actually during music therapy sessions. I tell people all the time I get just as much out of it as everybody that I play for does. And I mean that. I find my solace in music. Absolutely. For me, that's what it means. It means like learning to understand who you are because you're always changing and to appreciate who you are, flaws and all. Mm -hmm. Before we wrap today, Sohela, tell me a little bit more about music therapy. Well, I'm a harpist, uh, like a therapeutic harpist for Dufferin County. Mm -hmm. And I play for this the residents at Dufferin Oaks and Shelburne Residence. And there are a couple other homes out of the area in Guelph, Fergus, and Orangeville that we've been to as well. Mm -hmm. And I also play crystal singing bowls, which I recently started and I absolutely love them. 
they're incredible. Well, can, <laughs> they you, can you describe like, what they are for people? Mm-hmm. They are quartz crystal bowls in the scale of C that resonate at 432 hertz, mm-hmm. which is actually a, apparently, and I again, I haven't read like all the scientific stuff on this. They resonate 432 hertz is the frequency that most of our cells resonate at. Uh-huh. Um, and so when you are immersed by the sound waves, it feels like your whole body, like every part of you vibrates with it. And it's not you're not shaking or convulsing it's just an incredibly peaceful like realignment almost Mm. and i find it really personally cleansing and healing so i find when i'm really struggling or having difficulty for whatever reason if i listen to the bowls or i play the bowls playing the bowls is much more powerful Mm. for me at least i get up and i feel like i've literally been shaken almost but shaken in a good way all bad stuff just fell right out like you're applying a tuning fork to your audience yeah that's exactly it Is there anything happening imminently that you'd like us to know about? Is there a website that people can go to to find out about uh, what you're up to or your various initiatives and so on? The only upcoming events that I can think of are the Day of the Poets. Yes, indeed. And that's in (laughs) April. Is it April? April, (laughs) I I don't have my calendar in April 25, to be exact. April 25th. There we go. (laughs) So that's actually the next event that I will be at. Aside from that, I have a CD coming out. Uh, oh, cool. There's no date set for release, but it's very soon. What's the title? And I haven't picked it yet. Oh, okay. <laughs> I'm literally doing the cover artwork now, and we're, we're sending it off for mastering and then back in and then off to press. And once we have physical CDs, we're going to do the digital release, and it's going to be awesome. But we've worked a long, hard time on this record. so All original material? All original material and five more albums to make after this. Wow. <laughs> wow. So it's going to be a long, a long decade for me. But um, if anybody wants to find anything, they can go to sohala.com, which is S-O-H-A-Y-L-A dot C-O-M. Fantastic. Thank you. It's been great. And I, I strongly recommend to any listener to uh, go to the TED Talk and view that particular presentation because I think it really encapsulizes what you're about, who you are, and uh, what you're passionate about. Yeah. And the other question, uh, you know, that TED TEDx, I guess it's called, mm-hmm. what was that experience like for you? How did they handle it? And did you enjoy the experience? I did. I applied late and they messaged back and said, oh, you know, we'll let you know at this date. Wow. And that they gave you the tools and the structure, like format, the lessons and access to a platform, the TED Talks platform. So you can learn how to do all this. And you have multiple like check-ins with your coaches. I had amazing coaches, Chris and Tara. And I learned a lot about how to put together an effective speech that delivers the point that you want to deliver, cuts the fat, you know, gets to the important stuff, the guts of it. And then I got the opportunity to go out and do it. And I was nervous. I made one mistake the day of the actual filming in the first five seconds. So... Well, but, really, but it didn't matter. You couldn't tell, it really, matter. no. You, I think you settled into it quite wonderfully, and yeah. uh, it was just well, lovely. Well, the, mis- the only mistake, it was it was uh, a gift card to be given to someone who makes less than $20,000, but I had the number 200000 in my head. <laughs> oh. So I think people were confused. They were like, why would you give a grocery card to someone who makes $200,000? Oh, yeah, I remember <laughs> right? when you said and, that, and I thought, wow. Yeah, that's and, a- I, and people were probably confused, <laughs> and I, but I, in my head, I was like, so Hilla, just keep going, just keep going. Yeah, and of course, you did you this can. in front of a live audience, too, didn't you? Yeah, there's no there's no stop and restart for that. So, right. <laughs> yeah, but it all works out fine. 
yeah. the end of the day, it doesn't really matter how much somebody, how much money somebody makes anyways. If they need something, they need something, right? So mm-hmm. and that, that's why it didn't matter. And I was like, it'll be fine. It's okay. Yeah, we're all human. We all make mistakes, as yeah. they say. Yeah. Well, listen, thank you. Mm-hmm. And uh, I'm looking thank forward you. to uh, seeing you at uh, Day of the Poets. We'll talk before then for sure. And Likewise, yeah. Thank you again for yes, sharing. Yes, thanks. Have a great day. You too. You too. Take care. Bye. Bye. Ciao. The Sill Podcast is a Connecting Dots Media production. Available at thesillpodcast.com.